Welcome to Pivot to First. Hi, I'm Mike Seidel. I'm the CTO at Pivot CX. Every day I get to work with some of the brightest minds in the industry with one goal, turning hiring and people strategy into a competitive advantage. Today, I'm joined with Don Lively and Daniel Fuller of Full Stack PEO. Um, we actually at Pivot CX use Full Stack for our HR and benefits administration and payroll and, and pretty much every, everything we do managing our own people. Really, if you look at a PEO, uh, what they allow a smaller company like us to do is compete with bigger companies for talent. It's an option that's not for everybody, but it is one that if it fits your organization can be transformative. Don Lively is the CEO at Fullstack, and I was really excited that, that she agreed to appear on Pivot to First because I actually got worked with her at Tilson HR, which is a, a local uh, PEO, and, and we worked together for, I think it was eight, nine months, and um, you know went on to do other things for about 10 years, and then uh, I ended up here at Pivot CX doing, doing this, and then Don started Fullstack. I'm also joined by Daniel Fuller, uh, Vice President of Business Development. So we have the brain trust over at Fullstack. And, um, you know, if I haven't said so already, we, we've really been happy with the service we've got from uh, Fullstack. Thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks Glad for having to be us. Here. So, um, Don, I, I guess the first question is for you. Um, tell us a little bit of the story about how you got started with Fullstack. I think it's a really um, timely uh, start. Yeah. Um, well, my background is actually in human resources. Um, my bachelor's degree is in HR, and then I received my MBA a few years into my professional career. And as you mentioned, I worked for another PEO for 11 and a half years. And I kind of self-deprecatingly joke that I just stuck around and kept receiving more and more responsibility, um, became a team leader, became a supervisor. And the point at which I departed the company, I was co-senior director and I was overseeing the main operational functions, which for a PEO are your payroll processing, your human resource support, your client service satisfaction, and benefits administration. So once we made that decision to transition things, um, I actually had a brief foray at a law firm, uh, realized quickly law firm life was not for me, and then progressed to a former client of mine by the name of Developer Town, um, whose co-founders, Michael Kelly and Michael Cloran, um, I think I had been there about two weeks, and Michael Cloran said, so when are we going to start our own PEO? And so the impetus for everything <laughs> is they had their own small companies that they kept spinning up. And there was a real problem there because they would have three to five employees. They needed to have competitive benefit packages. They needed to have someone taking care of their payroll, their unemployment, their withholding, you know, all, all of those things. And they just didn't have anyone to do it for them. And they didn't want to hire a full-time person at that point. And so we started working in 2017 to get all of the infrastructure created, the HRIS set up and all of that started processing in 2018 and here we are a few years later. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, just watching the whole journey from the outside looking in. Uh, I remember when I saw that you were starting and then when you got started, I was really excited that we were going to be able to work with you, uh, you know, work with your company and come on as a, an early customer. Um, but, uh, you know, honestly, the PEO thing, um, it's been around for a long time. What, what makes PEO so relevant right now? I think there's a couple of things going on right now that um, one is kind of born out of COVID, which you never want to grow because of a pandemic. 
Um, but in our case, we've been fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time. And it's that the talent pool is coming from anywhere across the United States at this point. So for example, we may have a client based in Indiana, but they want to hire the best talent they're finding. And that happens to be a web developer in Colorado or a marketing professional um, who happens to be in Virginia or a salesperson who's out of Texas. And so we are in a unique position to be able to support that from a multi-state standpoint. And they just are not, you know, wanting to mess around with all the states and everything that's going on there. Um, the other piece for me is that more and more people coming out of college that are founding businesses have been taught the concept of outsourcing early on. So, you know, 20 years ago when I graduated college, outsourcing wasn't even a conversation for anyone. It was not brought up as an option. And now it's a standard practice to be discussing. So you have business owners who are graduating college and they've heard about it. They buy into it. They support it. And they want to focus on their MVP. So both of those things have been very advantageous for us. That's awesome. I just, you know, being a, this is the sixth company I've started here at Pivot. And um, it's every company I've done uh, aside the very first one, I've used PEOs as, as our way of dealing with HR. And the advantage it gives you um, from a just running the business standpoint is that I don't have to spend a lot of time dealing with really, really detailed, you know, kind of benefits questions. I don't have to go negotiate out health care. I don't have to go negotiate out a, you know, 401k. I don't have to deal with um, a lot of questions about, okay, so I've got people on my payroll. How do I actually pay them? And what are all the logistics of that? It becomes quite, you know, it's really simple and um, can, can save a lot of time. And I think what a lot of people uh, that are that are entrepreneurs don't think about is, you know, you've only got 40 hours to 80 hours in a week, maybe 120 hours if you're a workaholic. But but at the end of the day, you only have so many hours in a week that you can put in. And um, the question really is how many of the things that a PEO does are going to give you, um, you know, if you do them yourself and do them very well, are going to give you any advantage at all over what bringing in a PEO can do. And, and I'm not sure there are many things. I think the program's pretty strong. So, you know, what we see with our customers out there is we, we're getting in, we talk about recruitment a lot, and we usually are working with CEOs. And we see a lot of companies where um, the CEO is spending, uh, they, they don't even know it, but they're, they're spending like literally hundreds of hours every year dealing with, with things that could be outsourced and, and improved. Absolutely. I mean, it's commonplace to outsource accounting. You know, everybody thinks of outsourcing accounting as a function, but a lot of people do not even connect the dots on outsourcing human resources. No, it's really, it's really odd. Um, You know, it's kind of one of those things. I I think some of it is, uh, you know, I'm writing paychecks that gives me control as an owner and and that kind of thing. And and what's been fascinating with the the whole uh, using a PEO is actually you have as much or more control as you had before. And you're doing everything at this really high level. Um, you know, I always tell people when they ask me about why, why we use PEO, I always tell them, you know, we do it because it lets us compete with Salesforce. <laughs> it lets me go in and have really great benefits and, and a really great story um, down to the onboarding experience. You know, we spend a lot of time at Pivot CX working on uh, candidate experiences as you're recruiting. And with, with the PEO being in place, there, there's a really nice transition there. So we want to hire somebody and, and just like, a, you know, a, a top tier employer, 
you know, we're going to onboard everybody. You know, they're going to get an email. They're going to sign up online. They're going to do all their administration work online. They have a portal they can go to to make changes and all of that, just like we were huge. And uh, it actually helps us, you know, look a lot bigger than we are. Um, you know, as you're out there meeting with business owners, how, how, what, what is it that's the hardest thing, maybe Daniel, about about getting a business owner to realize, hey, I might need this. Yeah, there's there's a couple things. One is that I think there's a business owner and that is probably going against somewhat of what Don said of how people are being trained now. And, you know, if they're entrepreneurial and they're going through college or another training program and they're they're being trained, hey, outsource what you're not good at. I think there is a profile of people that think, you know, I need to hold all of this myself. I need to learn how to master every aspect of the business myself before I give it away, as opposed to being like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to give it away from the beginning. And I can, a quick story, um, you know, we, we work with another HR tech startup that is just entering into scale up mode and they are HR professionals. And they, they knew, cause they've done this before. They've known how to do a lot of this, this themselves, but they realized from the beginning, like if we're going to grow and scale these things and answer to our investors, like in a good way, like we need to give, we need to give this up. And um, so they, they started with us when they were just three people, right? Like co-founders at the beginning, hadn't even hired anyone yet, but wanted to have that benefits piece in place for when they, on um, you know, recruited and onboarded that first person. And they just knew, yeah, we could do this. We could add this to our list, but we don't want to become experts or main like stay experts in this if we're going to be successful. And, um, and so I just, I think that mentality like has to be learned. And when you have that personality where it's like, I want to have, I want to know everything. I want to control everything. I would say a part of that is that person has to be challenged to let it go if they're going to be successful and actually grow something. Okay. So um, what are the biggest challenges that you see business owners having um, when it comes to, you know, HR and people? Yeah. I mean, your, your show is all about it and that's, you know, finding people and, and then once, once they find them, it's differentiating themselves from competitors. So what, what's going to stop that person that you just brought on six months ago from, you know, especially in today's market from getting an offer from a competitor for $15,000 more a year, what, what's going to start, stop that, that talent on your team from taking $15,000 a year more. And if someone has not proactively thought about, you know, what besides compensation is, you know, going to keep that person here, and they haven't done anything about it, I think that's going to be a huge challenge for them. Because, you know, like, I'll take myself, like, if, if I, with a family of four, you know, two kids, it's expensive, you know, if I'm offered $15,000 more somewhere else, that's very tempting. If, you know, there aren't, a, there aren't factors in place that Don and our, you know, other owners have thought about for me to, to motivate me outside of, you know, cash right now compensation. And it has, has a lot to do with culture, my interactions with, with Don as my boss, you know, my interactions with the whole team being a part of like the larger strategy sharing in the future success. 
Like if, if a company hasn't thought about that, that that's what I would say is going to be the big challenge. Well, you know, if you're early on, um, you, you actually have some really powerful tools for, for retaining people. Um, you know, with, with our company, we've been really big on dealing everybody in on options and making sure everybody has a stake in the company it, that, that really, um, you know, if we're successful and, and, you know, you mentioned another HR tech company hitting growth mode, we're doing the same thing over here. And as we, we uh, start growing, you know, what we want is everybody looking at, at that, you know, the options, the, the non-cash compensation that they're getting and going, oh my gosh, this is going up in value. I want to protect that. Um, and, and at the same time, what we found when we deal people in, they're able, they're, I'm getting all of their mind power. I'm not just getting, uh, you know, eight hours of it. I'm getting them thinking about what we're doing at Pivot CX all the time. And they're coming back with great ideas because they all want to see this thing succeed. And I think a lot of businesses forget how important it is to deal people in. What do you, what do you think? I would agree with that. And, you know, in our circumstance, we aren't in a position to be able to give options to every single employee. I mean, we're doing that for our key employees, such as Daniel and, you know, a few other positions. But what I can do with them is make sure they have a seat at the table every quarter for when we're doing our quarterly planning. And they can help have buy-in as to what those quarterly goals should be, how they filter up to the annual goals, ultimately our three and five-year plans talk about our values, talk about our mission, talk about our vision, and see where they fit in as a piece of the puzzle to the entire success of the organization. And I think that that is a big part of our secret sauce at this point. Now, we're still small enough we can do that. Um, come our next meeting, we're going to be really tight in that room as far as the amount of chairs we have available. But I want to keep doing that as long as we possibly can, and, You know, even if it becomes top tier management and then sub meetings to just to make sure that everyone understands because it's so critical to professional development and personal development for everyone. Makes a huge, it just makes a huge difference when people feel like they're invested in what they're doing. And, and Don, you bring up a big point, you know, if you're going to make people feel like they're, they're dealt into the deal, listening to them and, and giving them a chance to, to be heard is so, so underrated. And, so many business people are afraid to do that. It, it's really not that scary. Um, you get you get some great feedback from people, and and honestly, um, some of the best ideas I've ever had in the businesses I've started have come from an employee um, who who felt unafraid to say what they 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 needed to say. I agree with that, and yeah, I also they, think it's important to be able to um, act upon it. Sorry, Daniel, I didn't mean to jump in front of you. The, the only concern I have is if you're soliciting everyone's opinion and everyone has a seat at the table and all of that, you also have to be very open-minded and willing to actually take their ideas into consideration and act upon them because otherwise then you have a detrimental impact on the culture. Yeah. Actions, actions speak so loud. You can't hear what people say sometimes. And, uh, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to take input from your people and, and then do nothing, um, eventually the input will dry up and, and it will become something where people get cynical about it and it'll actually be a net detractor. So um, kudos to you for, for listening and trying to, trying to implement those things. It makes a, makes a huge difference. So kind of back to, back to recruitment and the kinds of problems that you're seeing out there. Um, how, many of, how many companies that you work with are having trouble just finding people? It's I would say a good percentage of them, especially those that are hiring very technical positions that require specific 
expertise or certifications, you know, that that person was harder to find prior to the pandemic and it's, it's even harder to find now. So, but I'd say, yeah, we hear about that struggle with most of our clients. What are, what are most companies doing about that? I mean, when you get a small company, it's very different, you know, when you're in startup mode, like thinking about how you recruit people than you do when you approach it, like I'm already huge and I've got, you know, 28 recruiters on my staff. What, what, what do you, what do you see your clients out there really trying to do to attract talent? Don, I'll let you go first on that and then I'll add some color at the end. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I put it into two buckets. Um, the first bucket for me is actually finding that talent and being able to attract it. And I see a lot of people using kind of their friends and family networks, um, as a huge, huge proponent. Um, you know, a lot of, we've done a lot of recruiting for our own team through Facebook. And so depending on who our friends network is getting word out that way. And what happens is you create a tighter, closer knit culture especially if you've happened to find people that maybe you have worked with before because you already have that inherent trust built. So internally, we've been able to do that and capitalize upon that for us. Um, my other bucket would be related to not necessarily finding the talent, but making sure they're going to stay. And so from a compensation standpoint, what a company can budget um, I had a client ask me the other day, she said, you know, I gave someone, I, I verbally communicated to them that they were going to get a 4% raise. And they basically said, well, that's nothing in this market. You really haven't given me anything. And so, you know, she came to me and said, I really need a litmus test here. Am I out of, am I out of whack? Because I usually give two to 5% increases and what's going on with cost of living and inflation. And I said, most of our two to 5% are doing four to seven or four to eight this year you know, just as a starting point, but you have to be able to do what you can afford as a small company. So half of it's trying to keep the talent they already have in addition to recruiting and growing and all of that. I tell you, we see this a lot with our clients where they'll go out and uh, maybe they're trying to hire a senior Java engineer or something like that. And what will happen is they'll, they'll go out and advertise that position. They'll go get a bunch of candidates in. And then when they go to make the offers, they're really, they haven't thought through compensation very well and they're not offering market competitive rates. And, and there's this, uh, this unescapable fact in recruiting and that's that 90% of candidates will take the very first job that they're offered. Um, it was that way before the pandemic. And I kept watching Sherm's data to see if it would change in 2021 and, and it didn't. So 90% of candidates take the first offer they get. The problem is they're not sticking around if they're not given a good deal. And so a lot of employers are confusing, Hey, I can tire these people. And then, but they're all leaving three, four weeks later, you know, there's something defective about the candidate. And the truth is, um, you know, well, if you are not paying 28% under market rate for that position, you probably wouldn't have that problem. Right. Well, the other thing that's come to play now is with remote work workspace being the primary or if not the primary, mm -hmm. that it has greatly increased, you know, businesses used to be able to think of that as a huge perk of, hey, my can my employees can work remote. That's got to have an inherent value of $10,000 to $15,000 extra a year to them to have this flexibility and everything. And all of a sudden, that's equal playing ground now. So you don't have that as an yeah, advantage. Yeah, you're right. Everybody was like, hey, uh, I'll, I'll let them work from home and I'll pay them less. And and now that that doesn't work. <laughs> you're right. 
Yeah. So I, I find a lot of our, the founders and CEOs, especially that I'm talking to sometimes, you know, when there's a, another executive involved in recruiting and I'm talking companies that are primarily like under 25 employees. Um, in some cases it's up to like 50 employees where those folks are still involved in recruiting, but you know, at that point, usually they have someone on their team, but they are, um, they, they're involved with what I call the chicken and the egg of talent acquisition, where they don't have any time to invest into the recruiting process, which as we all know, it takes a lot of time to find the right people. But then secondly, from a budget perspective, when you look at these contingency recruiting models, if you hire a recruiter, where like, let's say it's a senior developer and that person's, you know, 120,000 a year in a, in a Midwest market, um, that's a contingency fee is 30 to $40,000 to just pay the recruiter to place that person. And, and so they can't justify that expense. And so they're coming to me and saying, you know, what do I do? I don't have the time, but I don't also have 30 to $40,000. And so what I'm finding, and there's a couple, you know, I know you guys are one example of a client in this space that's helping figure that, figure out that problem for small businesses. But then we have a couple other recruiting firms that we've, you know, been talking to that do more of the, you know, concierge white glove recruiting that are, have moved for that client toward an hourly basis or just a cost per position that is a lot more reasonable. And um, so we're trying to pair our clients up with those firms that are, you know, are doing it for a much more reasonable rate. Um, and have some proven strategies to, to help place those people. So the other thing I tell founders is like, no matter how little time you feel like you have, you have to be continually developing like a talent pipeline in your particular niche, you know, so like start a user group, you know, hang out online in the spaces where potential talent would be, keep going to the conferences and that are relevant for your industry or your niche and meet as many people as possible because like you have to keep that talent pipeline full, um, you know, so you have people to reach out to when, you know, you're hiring your next five people. So, you know, you hit one of the, one of the things we see a lot out there, which is, um, a lot of companies turn on and turn off recruiting regularly. You know, it's like, I'm not, I don't have any openings today, so I'm going to stop recruiting. And then two months from now, Hey, I need to hire somebody. Let's have a fire drill and, and start recruiting. And, and usually what happens in the intervening couple months is we forget how to recruit. We lose the muscle because we're not using it. And um, mm -hmm. so a lot of companies really, especially, especially startups and smaller companies really struggle with recruiting because it's something that if you want to do it well, you have to always be recruiting. You can't stop. Um, you, if you turn take mm -hmm. your, you know, take your jobs offline, you stop going to the conferences, you stop networking. It, it, you can't turn that stuff back on overnight. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and, and that's really, really hard, you know, for smaller companies. Um, and I think, I think it's the same way where people think about benefits and think about administering their, their day-to-day -day HR kind of stuff. They forget that you, you have to always be doing this stuff. You can't just like go wait until you get your health insurance renewal at the end of the year to deal with your health insurance. <laughs> you will get bad mm -hmm. surprises if you do that. So, you know, always be recruiting is one of those things we try to, we try to preach it and, and try to live that, but it's, it's hard. It is. Yeah. I think especially in that 
early stage company, companies under 25 to 50 employees, you're as executives, you're constantly in that line of firefighting and doing something that's more proactive and that doesn't feel immediately relevant is like, is hard to prioritize. It is. Yet I think, um, you know, we're finding the people that have the most success, you know, recruiting is, you know, they have that talent pipeline full and ready, even if it's like, you know, Mike, you're meeting someone at a conference and you're like, yeah, we don't need this person now, but three years from now when Pivot CX is here, we will. And you're putting that in your, you know, whether you have some fancy software to track that or you're just putting it on a Google sheet and your, you know, future talent three years from now, like that, we're finding the most successful founders have have that going um, and are thinking down the road. Well, that's that's important you bring this up. And I think, Don, this is a, a thing for you since you, you kind of started this entrepreneurial journey. What was this, three years now or two years? Um, we actually started running in 2018. So this is our beginning no. of our fifth year. Yeah. Fifth year. Okay. So five years. Yeah. So how many things do you, you know, it's, it's been, it's fun when you start companies, right. And, and do all this stuff. There are so many things that you have to do that you don't think that you are going to have to do. Right. Like recruiting. Um, yeah. You have to do it. Um, yeah. You have to make sure you get all your payroll stuff done every every pay period or people don't get paid. Uh, what's been the most surprising, really, I have to do that thing that you've run into uh, running full stack? Oh, my goodness. I think for me, my biggest challenge has been managing and overseeing areas that have not been areas that I have personally had experience in myself. So as an example, before Daniel was on with us full time, I was trying to do the sales. I was trying to do the marketing. I was trying to do all of these things and I've never overseen them myself before in my life. So I can only imagine what it's like for that business owner that doesn't have experience in payroll, doesn't have experience in benefits admin, hasn't put together a handbook, you know, all of that type of stuff. So it's a completely different experience when you're living it yourself, right? As the co-founder trying to figure, figure things out. Um, and it is daunting. And um, another example for me is over is accounting because that's an area that I've never been direct oversight over those functions. So, I mean, I can read the PL, I can read the balance sheet, I can go in and look at it and say, this looks right, this doesn't look right. But when you're overseeing the function and all the things that need to get done and you don't know every nitty gritty detail, and like you were saying earlier, you know, you can't take the time to master every single piece of operating a business. You have to trust the people around you to do the things that need to get done. Um, so that was probably my largest learning curve that I've had consistently throughout that every time I think I have something figured out, then you just learn that you need to learn a whole lot more <laughs> throughout the course yeah. of the business. I'll tell you what, uh, every, every day I get taught that lesson in a different way somewhere in the business. There's always something. Um, but I think you hit a really important point, which is trusting the people um, that, that you're, you're bringing in to help you with things is just so important. Um, you know, when you're hiring smart people, let them be smart for you, right? Let them, let them do that. Um, but it's, it's kind of hard to give up. I'm a little bit of a control freak, so it's, it's hard to give up that control. Um, it's, but it is it pays very off hard to give up that control. Absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, there's a pretty common mentality in the tech world of fail fast. But if you make mm -hmm. a wrong hire, you make a wrong decision, 
as far as your talent pool goes, it's not really viewed with the exact same light to go ahead and get rid of someone quickly. And so how much time and how much investment do you put into that person before you decide to make a pivotal change for your company? You know, those are all things that we've had to face as an organization throughout our duration, just in these few short years. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's not just you, um, you know, the hardest decisions I think we make is, uh, you know, as, as, uh, you know, business owners uh, really come around retaining employees and, and hiring and firing, and especially the firing side. It's, um, I don't know, I've never been good at it. Uh, it it's always hard to do. And, and um, the hard part is you always want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And you always want to keep letting them go in. And sometimes it really is the best thing to go ahead and, and cut your losses. Um, you're wasting the employee's time. You're wasting your, your company's time. And, you know, back to startups and fail fast. I think the most dangerous thing about bad people decisions is they make you succeed slowly. Um, and so instead of knowing that you're going to fail or having wild success, you end up in this, this middle ground where you're not growing, you're growing, but not fast enough. And, um, the reason that you're, you're not growing is you're fighting with all this dysfunction from having bad people. Absolutely. I can't agree more. So. Okay, I just have a couple few, a couple little last questions, and uh, since I have both of you on as guests, we'll go. Uh, I'll, I'll ask a question. Don, you answer first, then Daniel, you answer second. Okay, uh, business book. That, Sounds good. Okay, so first question: business book that's changed your life. Which which one is it? Since I started the business, EOS has been the most helpful to me. So EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Yes. And all of the books related to that have been incredibly helpful for me from a business perspective. Daniel? I'm going to go with a recent one that's called At Your Best by Carrie Newhoff. So. All right. A little more fun question. Uh, favorite movie? Press point blank. Uh Dead Poet Society. Okay. And uh, I guess, is there anything you'd like to say to the audience? Anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to mention? I, what I will say is what there, especially to small business leaders, um, is there's a reason why people, you know, want to leave a big company and work with you. And, and that's because they're, they're a, they're a part of something bigger than themselves and just doing their little thing over here for this big company. They've, they want to feel valued, cared for a part of something bigger. And so what, what is that? How can you leverage that? And how can you like, it's really a question. How can you articulate a compelling mission? That's, you know, might even be bigger than what you're, what you're doing as a company and your success metrics, but something that, you know, you're inviting people to be a part of that I would say has been a part of our secret sauce at full stack and where we see the most successful small companies that are growing is people feel invited into something bigger than themselves. And it's, it's easy to say yes to, you know, I might not make that $10,000 extra dollars or have like the premier benefits. However, you know, I, I am going to be a part of something that's meaningful and valuable and I'm proud to, you know, come home and tell my kids or my family and friends about. So. 
Don, Daniel, I thanks. I think I dovetail onto that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say I was going to dovetail onto that, but that's exactly, you know, what we talked about earlier. Make sure everyone understands how they fit into the picture of the company. If it's a startup that is clutch to having everyone know how they fit in. Don, Daniel, thanks both of you for being here. And I do want to mention, uh, if you want to learn more about Fullstack PEO, that's at fullstackpeo.com. And, um, you know, Daniel, I'm really, I'm really sorry about bringing this up right at the end, but you have your own podcast, Savage to Sage. Um, it's fantastic.